Hey, if you want to go ahead and make your way back to your seats. Well, good morning again, and welcome to Redeeming Grace Church. My name is Justin, one of the pastors here, and it is good to be back up here with you. Uh, my first time back in the pulpit after being on a sabbatical for a few months. So, yeah. So I'm looking forward to opening up God's word with you. Uh, thank you again for the opportunity for myself and my family uh, to have a time of rest. I've uh, been looking forward to diving into God's word with you this morning and then really looking forward to uh, getting into the book of Galatians here over the next few months. Uh, and so before we um, spend some time in prayer, Maggie's going to be reading our sermon text this morning. So listen to the word of the Lord. Acts 13 verses 1 through 3. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And then Acts 14, verses 21 through 28. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Holy God, what a gift it is to be gathered together today with all of our joys and with all of our sorrows, to be together as your people, reminded this morning from beginning to end in our time together of your grace, of your steadfast love for us. And we pray this morning, Holy Spirit, for you to move in a powerful way this morning in the days ahead to help us be who you are calling us to be as a church. And we pray all this in Christ's name, amen. You know, throughout modern time, there have been multiple things that we've encountered that seem seemingly impossible for us to figure out on our own. Things like flying or putting a person on the moon or being able to see something deep into space and something microscopic at a thousand times magnification. All of those things and many more were made possible by hard work and human ingenuity. But as we open up the Bible and really just think about our lives in the world, we learn about other seemingly impossible things, things that human ingenuity cannot make possible. It's not hard for any of us to see and experience the brokenness of the world that we find ourselves in, no matter how old you are, no matter what you believe. And we can look around and we experience that. We see that the world isn't all right. And the reason for that brokenness, though, is not bad luck or bad circumstances. 
It's because humanity rebelled against God, our maker. Humanity continues to rebel against him. That's what the Bible calls sin. And it goes all the way back to the very beginning of what we see at the start of creation when our first parents, Adam and Eve, were given the charge to live life under the authority of God, but they rebelled against him saying, God, I don't need you. I want to go my own way. I want to be in charge of my life. We continue to do the same thing today. Sin has destroyed life and relationships, both with God and with others. It's our biggest problem and literally is impossible for you and me to fix on our own. No amount of human ingenuity can remedy our predicament but God. But God has made a way through his son, Jesus. Jesus, the very son of God, came to live life on this earth in perfect obedience to the Father, Then he went to the cross and he died in our place, taking the punishment for our sin. And God raised him from the grave three days later. That's the message of what we call the gospel, the good news that God made a way for you and I to be reconciled to him, to be rescued and restored. And it's something that all of us need. Every last person. And we see all throughout scripture, that the God who made all things out of nothing the king over creation, that his heart, his desire is for people from every tribe and every language and every nation to come to him and to know him. But how will they know? How will our neighbors in the nations know of this amazingly good news of grace that's for all people? Is that even possible to get the word out? In some ways, it probably did seem impossible to those first few followers of Jesus. His disciples gathered in an upper room after Jesus had been raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. But then we see God continue to do the seemingly impossible. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been in a short sermon series in the book of Acts. And we've been looking in parts of Acts 1 and 2 for the purpose of talking about our vision as a church. When we say our vision for a church, really what we're talking about is why do we exist and who do we aspire to be? Why do we exist and who do we aspire to be? And there are a lot of ways that we could articulate a vision statement for our church. But at the end of the day, all churches who are seeking to be faithful to Jesus and what he's called us to should be essentially saying the same thing. The way we put it here at RGC is this, that we wanna be a community that exalts, displays, and declares the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. Another way of saying this is that we wanna be a community who moves in three directions. We wanna move up through worship, exalting God, lifting our voices in praise to the God who is above all things and over all things. We wanna move in through edification as we encourage one another and help each other live life along the way in following Jesus. And we wanna move out through being witnesses of this glorious person and his work of Jesus to our neighbors and the nations. And what we see in Acts is an example of this happening in the early church. Mark mentioned a few weeks ago in Acts chapter one, verse eight, the risen Jesus declares this to this small group of disciples. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Not you might be my witnesses. Not only if you opt in to be my witnesses. No, you will be my witnesses. You will tell people about me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So again, picture this scene. 
At this point in time, there's a small group of followers of Jesus, about 120 people, and Jesus has tasked them with taking the good news of the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. But how? How are they going to do that? Jesus says, it'll happen because the spirit will come upon you. You'll be filled and empowered to do this, this seemingly impossible thing. And we saw over the last few weeks what happens when the spirit came. This small group is filled with the Holy Spirit and they begin to praise God in various languages. Then Peter, who had denied Jesus, stands up and preaches a sermon in front of a large crowd declaring this amazing news and 3,000 people repent and believe and are baptized. They turn away from rebelling against God and recognize their need for grace and for what Christ has accomplished for them. Then last week, we saw the effects of the gospel on display as people's lives are changed And they enter into community with one another in a way that the world had not known. But is that it? I mean, that'd be a nice end of the story. And they lived happily ever after. No, they don't circle up the wagons. Say, hey, let's just chill and hang with each other. Because why? Jesus said, we have to take this message to the end of the earth. The mission he's given them is not yet complete. You'll be my witnesses not only in Jerusalem, but to the end of the earth. So what happens next in and among this community? How will they take this message of mercy and grace, of hope and life to people from every tribe, language, and nation? What happens next is that this spirit-filled community, first by way of persecution and then by planning, goes out, sharing the gospel and starting new local churches, new Communities of hope and light, beacons to shine light in the midst of darkness, outposts of grace in the kingdom of God. And so that's what we're going to focus our time on this morning. We've learned so far that Jesus' disciples are a spirit-filled community who does all of these things. And because of that, we'll see that Jesus' disciples are also a spirit-filled community that plants and strengthens churches. Plants and strengthens churches to do those same things. Now, when I say planting a church, what I mean is starting a new church. There's not a congregation, there's not a community, but a new one is begun. Strengthening a church is about coming alongside an already existing community and offering support or encouragement or help in some way. Another way to put this, we'll see in the text, is that spirit-filled communities start and encourage spirit-filled communities. Now, you may be thinking, why does this matter for us here and now? I mean, the book of Acts and this story in particular was written a long time ago, and we already said last week that the book of Acts is descriptive, not prescriptive. It tells us about what happened. It doesn't necessarily tell us what to do. But even as we read the history of the early church, we can learn from it principles and practices that are still relevant for us today. As I mentioned, God's heart is for the nations. He's calling people to himself. And we'll see that he begins to do that through a faithful church in a key part of the world by sending them out to start and strengthen new local churches. But there's still much work to be done. So what I want us to see, what I want to take root in our hearts this morning is that God is inviting us, all of us, to be a part of what he's still doing to be a part of the same thing of planting and strengthening churches. 
And I'm excited to be back up here today. And I'm excited to think with you, to dream with you, to pray with you for God to help us to be faithful to this calling as a local church. The, the concept of going out and planting churches and strengthening churches is near and dear to my heart. And I hope if it isn't already for you, it'll become near and dear to your heart as well. And listen, if you're new here, or you're not yet a believer, we're glad that you're here. I hope two things are really clear to you this morning. One is that our church is all about Jesus. And secondly, our church is all about making him known and following after him in our lives. So for you too, I hope that you'll be encouraged and help today as we spend time in God's word. So with that, let's dive into Acts 13 and 14 and may God bless the preaching of his word. Now there's a lot going on in this text. Maggie read kind of the book ends of Acts 13 and 14 and we're gonna dive into it and try and understand what's happening here. And so I wanna tell the story and that by doing that, seek to again, pull out some principles that we can apply to our own lives and to our own church. The first thing we learn is that church planting and strengthening is empowered by the spirit. Verse one of chapter 13 says, now there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers. Now, obviously, we've jumped a lot of chapters from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 13. So real quick, how do we end up in Antioch from Jerusalem? We'll put a map up on the screen here. Jerusalem is where everything had kind of taken place. Antioch is just north of Jerusalem. And so this is, there's talking about this church that exists farther away from Jerusalem than we might expect. But why does that happen? Well, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, a disciple of Jesus, is stoned to death for proclaiming Christ and him crucified. And that kicks off the beginning of a significant level of persecution led by a religious leader named Saul. Remember that. So we learn, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in those places. He uses hard things in our life sometimes to get us to go to the places that he's calling us to. In Acts chapter 11, we learn that because of this persecution, people traveled all the way to places like Cyprus and to places like Antioch. And as they went, they were faithful to be witnesses. They shared the good news of the gospel and people were affected by that. The Holy Spirit was at work and people repented and believed. But in these places, there was no church, no community, no shepherds to lead and feed and care and protect. So the church in Jerusalem finds out about this group of believers that exist in Antioch now and they send a man named Barnabas to help them and pastor them. So when we get to Acts chapter 13, verse one, we're in the context of this local church, this local church that was started and planted because of persecution. And we begin to get a glimpse into who's a part of this church community. Now there were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who's called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Antioch is in what is now modern day Turkey right next to Syria. And can we just pause for a second? Oh, that God would have thriving churches in that part of the world again. And just from the short list of names, we see there's diversity in this church. 
and in particular in the leadership of this church. You've got North Africans here. You've got Barnabas. You've got, uh, you've got a friend of Herod the Tetrarch who was in Jerusalem. There's a, a mix of people from all over that region in this church. And it's a reflective of the unique place that Antioch, the city of Antioch, actually was. Antioch was a cosmopolitan city. It was international. There were people from all over that region in this place, really a crossroads for the nations at that point in time. It was a central place for the trade route of that area. This is a key international city, a key financial city in this area. But as you notice, there's one name that really stands out on this list, Saul. Saul, who had been a persecutor of Jesus' church, is now a part of this church. Why? How? Because he, has an account, he had an encounter with the risen King Jesus, and it radically changed his life. One who was once a persecutor now becomes a preacher and prophet in Jesus' church. Man, God's grace really is amazing, isn't it? No one is too far gone to be rescued and redeemed. God's grace saves to the uttermost. So if you find yourself this morning in a place where you think God can never love me, God can never accept me. God can never welcome me into relationship with him because I've, I've blasphemed him with my life or with my words. Paul's a perfect example of, no, that's exactly who God gives grace to. So if that's you, come to him and come alive in Christ. He can use anybody, anybody for the sake of his glory. And that's what he begins to do here with Paul. So this group is together, and we see in verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Notice they're worshiping, they're fasting together. This implies that they're spending time in prayer. And it isn't just the leaders, it's the whole church. It's a picture of a community that's seeking the Lord together, and they hear from the Spirit. We don't know exactly how or what that exactly means, but it's very clear to them that he's saying something. Set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work I've called them to. So what does the church do with that? They respond in obedience. Verse three, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. These are key leaders in this local church. But the Spirit says, send them. The Spirit says, Go. So they say, okay, we're going to listen. And they lay their hands, they commission them, they bless them, and then they send them off. We already know from Acts chapter 11 that this local church is a faithful witness in their area. They're already declaring the gospel to their neighbors. But now, now the Spirit leads them to send some of their best people out to a wider mission beyond their city to proclaim the gospel, to see new local churches started in places they don't currently exist the church so far up to this point has spread primarily because of persecution. Here is the first recorded instance of intentional planning led by and empowered by the Holy Spirit on the part of a local church to multiply. And I love this. I mean, this is likely a small local church in a big city and they're doing the basic things that church, churches do that we saw earlier in Acts. There isn't anything extraordinary about them. Really, the only extraordinary thing is the spirit at work among them and in them. I love this because that's our reality too. There's, there's nothing extraordinary about us. Sorry if that burst your bubble. 
right? We're not an impressive people, an impressive church. Look at all the great things that we're doing, how great we are. No, we are ordinary people doing ordinary things, getting your hair cut, going to school, going to work, living in your neighborhood, living in your community. You're doing ordinary things. We're just trying to do them with gospel intentionality, led by the Spirit along the way, being attentive to the Spirit along the way, seeking to listen to God and what he's calling us to. Most church plants come out of humble beginnings like this, a faithful church who's seeking the Lord together, a faithful church who's trying to listen to the Spirit. So church, what might God do in and through us if we worship and fast and pray together? How might the Spirit empower and lead us to be a Spirit-filled community that starts and encourages Spirit-filled communities? What we see in this text is it's the Spirit who empowers The spirit who appoints them, it's the spirit who sends them out. Verse four of chapter 13. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went. Now what takes place in the rest of chapter 13 into 14 is this unfolding of them taking the gospel to places. And so I wanna give kind of an overview of what takes place in these next few chapters. The spirit empowers Barnabas and Saul to proclaim the good news of Jesus and plant and strengthen churches in various cities and towns all over the region. You see on the map here, there's some lines here. They're a little bit hard to see, but it kind of gives the route that they take and the cities that they go to to tell people about Jesus and to start new church communities. Now, if we don't know that area of the world very well, it's equivalent to us planting churches not only in the greater D.C. metro area, but in Richmond and Roanoke in Virginia Beach, in Blacksburg, an Ellicott City in the Eastern Shore. That's what we're talking about here. That's where they're going. First, they go to Cyprus and they preach the gospel there. And it's here that we learn, verse nine, that Saul is also called Paul. From there, they then head to the region of Galatia. All right, no churches there. Paul writes a letter there, so something good's about to happen. They come to a different city also called Antioch, and they preach the gospel. Some people are interested, but they also experience resistance from some of the religious leaders, to which Paul says, that's why we're taking the gospel now to the Gentiles. Look at chapter 13, verses 48 and 49. It says, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Even in the midst of being challenged, they didn't waver. Paul and Barnabas didn't waver in what God had called them to, but continued. Verse 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They then head to Iconium, continued to be empowered by the Spirit. They continued to preach and proclaim the good news of Jesus. Verse 1 of chapter 14, now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed the gospel is taking effect in people's lives. They're coming alive in Christ. But we also learn that they're threatened there. And so they left and went to Lystra. And in Lystra, they continued to do the work of proclaiming the gospel, we learn in verse 7. But while they're there, some people who didn't like Paul and didn't like his message, not from that town, but from the other Antioch and Iconium, come there to stir up trouble. They start to tell things about Paul and they get the crowd so riled up that they actually stone Paul. They try to murder him for preaching the gospel, leaving him for dead. Side note, if you think church planning is glamorous or always fun, Remember that the first intentionally sent church planter was stoned and left for dead. 
most guys I know who've led out in planting churches have some battle scars to show. Maybe not physically, but mentally, emotionally, relationally. But God's still at work. By God's grace, Paul doesn't die. But instead of Paul being like, you know what, guys, like, I think I'm done. He doesn't call it quits. He doesn't head back home. Look at verse 20, chapter 14. It says, but when the disciples gathered about him, thinking he's dead, he rose up and he entered the city. He goes back to the place that they just stoned him. And then beyond that, he goes and he continues to preach the gospel and sees people come to faith. That's amazing. Why in the world would you do something like that? Why would, why would someone who just had their life almost taken them, why would they go back to the same place and continue to do this? I think you'd have, be totally justified in thinking, I, I think you're good, man. Move on. No, he does this because the gospel has radically transformed his life. He knows he was once dead, but Christ made him alive. He does this because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. If this is an example of a man's life who's been radically transformed, who's empowered by the Spirit, I don't know what else is. No one can do this kind of pioneering work of taking the gospel to a place where there are no churches because there are no Christians apart from the spirit working in them and in their hearers. No one can do this kind of work apart from being sent out by a spirit-filled community that's praying for them and supporting them. God alone gets all the glory for what happens here. And it's here that we learn that church planting and strengthening is also essential for declaring the gospel. Verses 21 through 23. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. I love the courage and faith of Paul here as well. If you look at that map again, he could have taken a shortcut back, just finished the loop back to Antioch, but instead he reverses course and goes back to all the same cities and churches that he started. And because he knows there's something they need there. They need to be encouraged. They need to be helped. He wants to establish them and see them strengthened. Later on, he'll actually go back to these same places a second time when he's sent out from Antioch again. And we know from these verses that Paul and Barnabas did share the gospel. They went out to be evangelists, but it didn't just stop there. They also started new spirit-filled communities in these cities and towns. Again, there were no churches in these places because there were no Christians, but now there are believers, there are Christians, and so a local church must be born in order to help them grow spiritually and continue in their new faith. So Paul and Barnabas come back to these infant churches, not only to establish leadership, to establish elders, but to keep pointing them to Jesus, to keep grounding them in the gospel, to encourage them to stay the course, even though they will most certainly experience tribulation and challenges, which Paul and Barnabas know firsthand. I imagine at this point, when they go back to some of these cities, Paul's still bandaged and bruised. See, the reality is a person cannot thrive as a disciple of Jesus apart from being connected to a local church. That would be like being a part of a body trying to survive on its own, being disconnected from the body as a whole, its life source. 
That's why God doesn't just save any of us as merely individuals, but he saves us into a community, into the church, a body of believers who can help one another mature and keep following Jesus in a world that's set against him in his ways. All of us will experience challenge. All of us will experience difficulty along the way. And so we need each other, committed to one another, to help one another keep running the race that's set before us. That was true then, and that's true now. It's why planting churches and strengthening churches is essential. We have to go and share the gospel. 100% true. But it doesn't stop there. We also have to see churches planted in places that they don't exist, in communities they don't exist, who can go and do the same thing. Who can be spirit-filled communities who exalt, display, and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. Outposts of the kingdom in cities and towns all over the world until Jesus comes again. I remember getting this for the first time when I was in college. Amy and I were part of a church at Virginia Tech. And our, I think it was our sophomore year, they started talking about and praying about planting a church. And I had never heard that before. I grew up in the church, but never, I'd heard about missions, but I never really heard about planting a church. But as they talked about it and, and taught on it, I was like, oh, that, that makes a lot of sense. Right, like we're, we're a healthy church and that, that community doesn't have one, so let's go start another one there. Like they need the gospel too. They need community too. They need the church too. So as sophomores in college, we saw our church send a church plant across the country to LA to plant a church there. And I saw people quit their jobs and move. and saw people decide, I'm gonna go be a part of that. And this is the beginning of what God began to work in our own hearts and lives to think about and pray about, should we be a part of that in some way of planting a church? And so we eventually moved to Louisville, Kentucky and got a part of a church that was a church planting church and ultimately led by the spirit and in community came back here to plant Sojourn Church 11 years ago, which then from day one began to support church plants and over time sent out a new church plant team to Manassas. Historic Redeeming Grace Church has a history of the same thing. People moving cities, sending people locally and across the United States to see new churches begun. And now, now as one new church, we want to see God continue to work in that way, in us and through us, as we support and strengthen local churches in our area and also pray for God to raise up people from here to go and start new spirit-filled communities locally and globally. Tim Keller, who recently passed away, was a super strong advocate for church planning, passionate about church planning. He says this, a vigorous and continuous approach to church planting is the only way to guarantee an increase in the number of believers and is one of the best ways to renew the whole body of Christ. As new churches are started, there's opportunities that are unique to those new congregations for the gospel to reach people who otherwise it seems like would be hard to reach. At the same time, he says it's a renewing thing for the whole body of Christ. As people are sent out, new leaders have to come into place. It gets us fired up and invigorated to go and continue to do the work that he's calling us to do. Which leads to the last thing we see in this text. Church planting and strengthening is for every one of God's people. Verses 24 through 28. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And there they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And there remained no little time with the disciples. 
This missionary journey, this church planting journey took at least a year. Some scholars say up to three years. But eventually Paul and Barnabas make their way back home. Why? Because this was never just a them thing. This was something their sending church was a part of too. So they come back and they gather the people who prayed for them. They gather the people who sent them and supported them. And they testified all that God had done through their faithfulness to take the gospel out. People are being saved. Churches are being planted. The gospel is going forward. They weren't getting live tweet updates, right? Or whatever it's called now. They weren't getting email newsletters. They weren't getting texts along the way. This might be the first time they ever heard what happened to Paul and Barnabas. Oh, what happened? I mean, the church is exploding. The gospel is going forward. Can you imagine how encouraged they must have been, how invigorated to hear what God was up to and they got to be a part of that. And we don't know the names of these people in the congregation outside of a few leaders. It was just a local church made up of businessmen and women, moms and dads wrangling little kids, trying to manage their homes, single and married, young and old, blue collar and white collar type workers, people from various ethnic backgrounds. It was just a community that was formed by the gospel, listening to the spirit, a community a lot like ours, an essentially nameless group but faithful church who listened to the spirit and became a church planting and church strengthening church. All of them were a part of that. They're praying, giving, sending. They were actively involved in the work that Jesus had called them to. Now we can't draw a historic line from our church back to the church in Jerusalem or this church in Antioch. Man, it's there. From this moment that we read about in the mid-first century, local churches continue to be planted and continue to be strengthened all around the region, all around the globe. It's pretty amazing if you think about it. I mean, every church that I've ever been a part of, it didn't always exist, right? Some group of people were sent out from somewhere relying on the Spirit to start something new. And it all goes back to Acts 1-8 and Acts 2 and Acts 13, all the way up to now. You know what the amazing thing is? We're proclaiming the same gospel. We're empowered by the same spirit. Listen, God cares about his global glory and he's calling people to himself from all over the world. And he does that through the faithful witness of faithful local churches made up of faithful, ordinary people like you, like me. So if this is true, if church planting and church strengthening is for every one of God's people, what does that mean for the members of Redeeming Grace Church. What it means is there's still much work to be done locally and globally. We live in an area of roughly 6 million people. We live in a world with 8 billion people in it, many of whom have never heard the gospel, many of whom have not yet believed. But you know what? We learn in verse 27, there's a door open to the Gentiles, to the nations. That door's still open. God's still rescuing and redeeming people from all over the world. And he's inviting us to be a part of that work, just like he did with the church at Antioch. In a lot of ways, Fairfax is a lot like Antioch. It's located right in the middle of Fairfax County. This is a map of Fairfax County. The little grayish area, if you can kind of make that out in the middle, is the city of Fairfax. And we're just south of that right now this morning. I mean, it's right smack in the middle of Fairfax, a county of roughly 1.2 million people in the D.C. metro area, which is, like I said, about 6 million people right here. About 20 or 30 minutes drive from here, we can get to a large international airport and get to pretty much anywhere in the world. 
We're called to go take the gospel to the nations, but you know what? People also come to this place for work and for school from all over the world. We want to see churches planted and strengthened among our neighbors and the nations. And Fairfax, in many ways, like Antioch, is a crossroads for the nations, where our neighbors are the nations. What might God do if a faithful, spirit-filled community in Fairfax began to worship, fast, and pray? What might he do if, he, if we all became more attentive to the spirit in our individual lives and in the life of our church? Might he raise up men and women here who are even sitting here this morning to be sent to Chantilly, to Gainesville, to Leesburg? Might he call some of our key leaders to be sent out? Might he call you or your community group to be a part of forming a core group, to be a part of a new church, or to go to an existing church that's having a hard time right now, to be faithful, a faithful member there? Might he lead some of you to move to a place like Erbil or Berlin or Delhi, God's heart for the nations is clear and he's using local churches like ours to carry the good news of the gospel to them. Daryl Bach, a commentator writing on this text says, we build churches not just to go in for worship, but also to go out with God's heart for people. You notice a vision for our church isn't to be bigger and bigger and bigger. The vision for our church is to be a community that exalts, displays, and declares the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. It's up, in, and out. It's here and beyond here. It's among us and beyond us. Brothers and sisters, this is way bigger than Redeeming Grace Church. This is all about what God is up to in his glory to the ends of the earth, and he's inviting us to be a part of that. And in many ways, we already are. We're partnering with local churches and local church plants like Mercy of Christ Fellowship in D.C. or New City Fellowship in Manassas or Mission Church in Norfolk or Doxology Church in Arlington or Congress Heights Community Church in D.C. or all the way across the world in Tokyo, Japan with Toyosu Community Church. God is at work in those communities and we've been a part of praying for them and supporting them and encouraging them and helping them and sending people to them. God's doing a work in those communities and Lord willing, they'll continue to multiply out and see new churches planted out of them as well. Church planning and strengthening is for every one of God's people. But there's still more, more work to be, gone, to be done. So how might he enable us as a congregation to increase how we partner with these churches? How might he help us to raise up church planters and pastors and core teams within this community to be sent out? What might he do with you, with me, with us together? We might not all be sent, but we all have a part to play in sending. And I say that knowing that some of you, your life is consumed right now with changing diapers or closing deals. Maybe you're studying for a midterm or you're strategizing for your company. Maybe you're 17 years old or 70 years old, but listen to me, God has something for you in this. So today I wanna to call us just simply to do what we saw the church at Antioch to do. I wanna call us to worship and to fast and to pray. I wanna call us to be attentive to the spirit and to scheme for the kingdom locally and globally, personally and corporately. And let's see how God shows up. Let's see how God shows off as he helps us to be a spirit-filled community that plants and strengthens other spirit-filled communities, not for our glory, but for his glory and the good of our neighbors and the nations. Amen.